Hello Gen X, welcome back to the water cooler. It's good to have you this week. It's kind of a special week here at the water cooler. It's our 25th episode of the podcast, which is in itself exciting. It is also St. Patrick's Day, so I hope you are enjoying your fun day of all things Irish cultural appropriation. But the the big news of the day, we have officially hit our 365th day of 15 days to slow the spread. Yeah, happy birthday. Boy, what a day. What that's that's exciting stuff. Yeah, I, I hope uh, you had a chance to sign the card. Hope you donated something for a gift so we can give a something special to our 15 days to slow the spread. Uh, we are on top of it. We did it. We we made it. It's been it's been a year uh, since it would take 15 days to slow this thing, and and here we are. So it's it's a fun day. It's exciting uh, to reflect on the nonsense that we've been tripping through for the past year and not just the political and social unrest that's been going on, but specifically with this pandemic. Boy, what an exciting run we have had. And it's interesting to reflect back on how everything kind of crescendoed. You know, it had been kind of a slow burn around the, the end of 2019 as you got whispers of this novel virus which in itself wasn't anything remarkable and wasn't anything new. Uh, there tends to be every couple of years you know, some new novel virus that, that makes its way uh, across the world. A lot of them seem to end up in or begin in China, which is in itself weird, but we've had swine flu, bird flu, SARS, H1N1, and so many other different variants, and, and the, the panic gets raised. It kind of hits the public consciousness for a little bit and then eventually recedes and it just becomes something else that we as human beings on planet Earth have to deal with. But for whatever reason, this one was different. This one uh, hit the the world population in a, a little bit different way. Uh, it, it started in the Wuhan area in China and then you know quickly spread from there. And you, know, you started seeing reports of of lockdowns and quarantines in Hong Kong as they were having their uh, political unrest. And you started seeing those images out of of Italy, which were both kind of cute and quaint when they're these neighbors in these old uh, Italian uh, villas, you know, toasting each each other and singing and and you know trying to get each other through their quarantine experience. Uh, to the horrors of, of significant uh, deaths that were happening in Italy and and uh, particularly amongst medical staff. And the, just to contemplate what that uh, exactly uh, entailed, what that implied for the rest of the world, it was kind of it was kind of scary, kind of chilling. But again, we had been around the track so many times. Um, it, it wasn't taken seriously, uh, at least on a wide level. The the Trump administration had jumped early on it. Uh, Vice President Pence was put on the as the head of the task force to to deal with with that virus, but it was largely uh, ignored by the by the press and and by uh, you know Congress because uh, if you remember back at the time in in around the January time frame, 
the the hot topic of the day. They were, were primarily concerned with impeachment. Now, this isn't the Hobbit second impeachment. No, no, no. This was first impeachment. This was impeachment based on the now debunked and discredited uh, Russian conspiracy hoax from the 2016 election, uh, which ultimately stemmed from a a false Democrat uh, dossier. Um, but that somehow over the, the course of a couple of years percolated itself into a yeah, waited for a Democrat majority in the House and, and became a an impeachment trial. And uh, impeachment notwithstanding, the White House at the time uh, set up committees to deal with this growing pandemic. And it, it started to raise cause for concern, although you had many Democrats uh, leadership that were kind of downplaying the the potential for this novel virus and an, and an outbreak and a pandemic and you had leaders like you know bill de blasio and uh, cuomo and and nancy pelosi that were seen at in different festivals and and in different functions that were saying that were mocking any calls to <coughs> to to stop uh, these these functions and and to delay these things and to and to not, not gather uh, publicly because to do so would have been to incite fear and that's exactly what they didn't uh, want to have and and so you know, there's this this reluctance to to take this thing uh, seriously. Now, to be fair, it's understandable why there's a bit of a reluctance to to get after and tackle this issue because uh, for those couple of months that this novel virus was was taking hold, uh, China uh, was busy lying. Now, of course, when I say China, I don't mean specifically the Chinese people. I don't mean the country in general. I mean specifically the Chinese Communist Party. As communists are wont to do, you know, they lie, they sandbag, they cover up, you know, much like you saw with the Soviets in Chernobyl. Now, they did not want to be seen as having a crisis that was getting away from them. They did not want to see it seem as though they did anything wrong on the world stage. And they sandbagged and, and they and they lied and and their accomplices at the World Health Organization were more than happy uh, to to help with their cover up. And they they did not you know sound an alarm. In fact, they they also you know poo pooed things. Said that there's no real cause for concern. And this was something local. Or it, there was was no evidence of human to human transmission and 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 the like. And then you started getting mis <coughs> misleading information uh, regarding the. Um, the source of of the outbreak, you know, initially it was be believed, or at least the narrative, was that the outbreak came from the Wuhan wet markets, you know, what what has been uh, proverbially known as uh, bat soup, and, and so there was this weird uh, fixation on these wet markets and the types of animals that are consumed in these markets and i mean it was, it was all a set just a, a big diversion because 
coincidentally enough, there's a large virology lab in Wuhan, just a stone throw away from from the wet markets that have been, you know, long since funded in part by the United States and and other international interests. And they housed the exact virus. Boy, the coincidence that the exact thing uh, is housed within this lab. It is just—it was just unconscionable to think that that those uh, could be connected. So a lot of time was and effort was spent on misleading and, and lying you know, to the world at large. And so, so many areas within the world were largely caught flat-footed. And once this started to make its headway, uh, there was just confusion as to the implications of what it meant and how to handle it. Um, ultimately, until you started seeing it seep within the in the mainstream, within the, the sports world is really what seemed to, to bring it all uh, to a collapse. You know, the you know, spring training for baseball, it was about halfway through you had march madness that was just about to to get underway and these you know traditional and largely attended uh sporting events were 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 beginning to start the nba was in the middle of its season until rudy gobert of the utah jazz tested positive and their game with the oklahoma city thunder was uh, was called off, was delayed, and then you saw just in quick succession, games canceled, seasons put put on pause, spring training put on pause, March Madness was canceled, <clears throat> all within within days. It was just it was fascinating to see within you know hour to hour you know things changed, where you had you know, cities were shutting down, states were shutting down, locking down, and, and it just happened within quick succession. And and panic and worry very quickly set in because it was just unknown <clears throat> what to expect. You know, it, the world had been lied to and and distracted for for so long, and and you know, men, the perception was not too unlike this airborne Ebola that it was it was just highly highly contagious, highly deadly. And there was initial concern in the beginning that hospitals would be overrun and so we had to lock things down we had to quarantine because we did not want to you know put hospitals into position where they just simply didn't have enough beds they didn't have the capacity to deal with these sick uh, patients that were going to be there for a while and to be fair uh, initially there was there was a little bit of unsurety on how to even uh, you know treat the disease so shutdowns then quickly became the norm you had bars, restaurants, clubs, movie theaters, schools, all very quickly shut down. So then we, we started to hear things codified as essential businesses. And, and in many ways, it was almost seemed to be, be that of convenience and, and that of some, some window dressing. Um, but we, we started elevating in our, our perceptions and calling heroes you know the the frontline workers you know nurses and doctors and medical staff and people who worked in grocery stores i mean we we started deifying these people you know so for for us here in the midwest at least us here in illinois what that meant was that that weekend around the 
the twelfth or thirteenth, I believe it was. You know, the the school started uh, shutting down. Our, our kids had had off of school, and for you know me personally, you know, we came back to work on that that Monday, that sixteenth, and we kind of got different wor- different words of interactions. And by the end of the day, we were told to you know, to work remotely indefinitely. So starting on St. Patrick's Day, that Tuesday, we began the the long and tiresome process of remote working and that led into spring break with the kids being at home plans had to be canceled and they were given a week after spring break and then we had this nonsensical ineffective remote learning that happened for the rest of the spring to finish out that school year well for me personally i was much like everybody else i didn't know what to think didn't know what to expect I wasn't really on board with a lot of the panic. I just wanted to know more. I wanted to be able to learn more so I could assess what it is that we were dealing with as you know personally as a family and and in general as a as a country what is it that was going on? And so that would that for that Tuesday <clears throat> was my first day working remotely from work, not from from home, making things uh making things work, trying to get as much done as I could and to try to you know figure out a, a new routine and just absorbing all of the the data that I could you know, the statistics on outbreaks and you know counts that were happening and where these outbreaks were occurring and you know the the rate of 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 cases and because testing wasn't too widespread in the in the in the beginning and uh, just tr- and tried to you know, put our arms around what what it was that was happening, um, because you know we were told very early on that um, that it could be it could potentially be very very deadly, and I remember you know, we, were, we were watching all of all of this information trickle through, and we were also told very directly it's this is not the flu this is not the flu it's much much deadlier it's much more contagious. Uh, it's just simply not the flu. And then something happened. At least by the by the end of that week. So the Tuesday was my first day working from home. So around by Friday, after absorbing all this information, I remember just sitting back and I just thought, "What are we doing? What are we doing? To what end are we doing all that? We're, we're shutting down the whole economy, and for what?" Because as as quickly as things shut down, it very quickly became apparent that n- although this might not be the flu, it definitely was a flu. It was a different type of a strain for things that we've seen before. I, b- I believe H1N1 is is in that similar molecular family. I, I, it just I just didn't understand why this now was different than anything else why we were hitting the brakes so fast and so hard on this thing and very early on there seemed to be a very clear divergence between people in response to this pandemic on one hand you had people who were just terrified and scared and they wanted the government to be there to give them guidance to tell them what to do where to go how to handle things and there was another group of people that simply said okay this is something else we're gonna have to deal with you know, let's meet it head on and and get our lives going again. And it was just this weird 
very quick divergence between those who are inclined to let themselves give in to fear and and hope for someone to swoop in and and take control and to fix things you know they want an iron man to come and swoop down from the sky and and make things right and then there are others that's that took this on as an, another challenge that that we face as individuals and and wanted to get back to to what uh, our normal routines and, and obligations are so from that perspective very quickly the pandemic evolved into a polarizing political issue not unlike just about anything else anymore everything seems to be uh, put into one of any one of two extremes and very very quickly very early on this it was something that became quickly weaponized against the Trump administration you know from the from some of the earliest days you know again as there was some confusion on how this uh, this was supposed to be treated, and there it was you know discovered by I believe in in Italy or in France somewhere that hydroxychloroquine, a, a drug that has long since been used to treat malaria and lupus and a number of other things, uh, was a, a an effective treatment for it. And in, in one of his daily press conferences, you know, you know Trump, uh, President Trump at the time mentioned as much. And very quickly, the the gaggle in the of the Washington press corps just jumped on it and said it was giving people false hope, and was there any proof to it? And and, and the social media began banning and flagging any 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 posts that tried to assert that hydroxychloroquine was an effective treatment, and doctors became discredited. You know, for you know, for asserting as much, it was just very, very weird. And along that same time, you know, there were a number of government officials that quickly became folk heroes. You know, Cuomo and Governor Whitmer and Governor Newsom and Governor Wolf, and of course the esteemable Dr. Anthony Fauci. They they became these these heroes that that people were looked to. Again, you had that divergence of people, people who looked towards the government. They became their heroes. Meanwhile, uh, politicians who are on the other side of the aisle and, and, and the different party who are also in the same positions and governors in other states, um, they were mocked. You know, Governor you know, DeSantis in Florida, Abbott in Texas, and Noam in South Dakota, you know, they were mocked because their approaches differed quite a bit by their counterparts in, in blue states. But the definitely the most bizarre of all of that was the quick rock star status of Dr. Fauci. I mean, here's this this crusty old dude in his eighties, and you know Dr. Burks. You know they would stand you know behind you know, President Trump and Vice President Pence at these press conferences, and you know the you know, the Washington press corps didn't want to hear from them. They wanted to hear from the doctors. They wanted to hear from the science. I want to hear about the science. You know that. That became the you know the calling card, and you know Dr. Fauci very quickly became a media whore. You know he, did, he there was never a camera he didn't like. There was no appearance he wouldn't make. He just wanted to be out there you know pimping himself, which is just odd. You know for some dude as old as he is to you know to be beating his chest in front of cameras. It's I thought of something that was very bizarre. But the other weird thing that 
I saw was he quickly would and consistently contradict himself. And I didn't understand it. I kept thinking, how is this guy having any, any credibility? Because you remember, there was a number, any number of questions about uh, this disease, how it spreads, how contagious it is, and that type of thing. And here's a dude who would say yes to, to whatever. He, he would say you know, that you know, we, there's no reason why we should be wearing masks. They are, are ineffective unless they're the N95 medical-grade masks you know, that is not effective. Any cloth covering, you might as well just have nothing at all. It's, it, there's, it, it's just not doing anything. And just as soon as that left his mouth, he would say, yes, everybody should be wearing masks. In fact, we're going to be wearing them into the foreseeable future, and into 2021, 2022, or possibly uh, forever. Again, just complete opposite questions, and no one had a problem with this. It was weird. All these people who depend on government for the answers, here's a dude telling you the opposite, and they're fine with it. And it's something I never, ever could wrap my mind around. How he continued to maintain any sense of credibility, even to this day. It seemed to be that because he was willing to be critical and go against uh, President Trump, maybe that's why. Um, maybe because the the left tends to have a, almost a religious zeal towards all things science, and he fit that role, and so therefore you simply don't doubt him. I don't know, but it was bizarre to me. I didn't understand it, and I still don't understand it. But here he is. He's running around just not giving any clear guidance, you know, saying, yes, this thing can is killed by UV light and in the sun and the heat. By the time the summer comes around, yes, that, that should help out. And just as quickly as he said that, he said, no, there's no evidence that this thing is is killed uh, in the sunlight and with heat. That doesn't have any impact on it. Or he would say there's uh, this thing is highly contagious and it can live on surfaces from you know, up to a week and, and we need to clean and sterilize things very, you know, very quickly, otherwise you risk transmission. Then he would, as, just as soon as that would escape his mouth, he'd say, no, there's no evidence that this thing is, is, is uh, contact... Uh, spreadable and and it it dies just as soon as it hits the surface i mean just complete polar opposites and just for me it was only thing it did was to breed confusion but here but that's where you know fauci went and people were cool with it and then yeah it was quickly became something that was weaponized in the presidential election and you know Biden would say, you know, how how many hundreds of thousands would die by the summer, die by the fall, die by the end of the year, and if if he didn't get elected, you know, hundreds of thousands of people would die. No one ever questioned it. You know, you know, Doctor Burks would talk about the millions who would die, and it's, you know, best case scenario, you know, be you know two hundred thousand would die by the end of the year if we handled things exactly right, and there's nowhere that could happen. Well, lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. And no one questioned it. No one pushed back. It was just totally bizarre. As equally bizarre, the wearing of masks quickly became a cultural battleground. Again, something that I just don't understand. On one hand, you had people who would assert that if you wear a mask, if you advocate for wearing masks, you're a sheep, you're a fool, it doesn't do anything. And then you'd have... On the other end, you'd have people shaming those not wearing masks. You know, they would say, "You're killing grandma, right? You're, if we would just wear masks, this thing could be could be eradicated in six weeks." And 
no basis for it, but it just became this quick polarizing thing. Now, me personally, having spent time uh, in Japan, you know, I've known that people in Asia have long since worn masks during cold and flu season. At, I remember at the beginning, I thought this was a little weird. I didn't get it. And you know, people look goofy wearing these white, this white cloth on their face. And you thought, well, you know, these people are just so terrified of getting, you know, catching the common cold. It's weird to, you know, to see that. But then, of course, you quickly realize that it's not to prevent themselves from getting sick. It's pre to prevent them from spreading something. Well, if they were sick or if they've been around someone that's sick, you know, they would wear a mask on public. And for the most part, it was either middle-aged people or older people who would do this. And you learned about it and you thought, oh, okay, well, that's fine. And I'm, I'm sure it's not... 100% effective in, in stopping it, but if it helps to slow things down a little bit and if it have some some small measure of, of prevention, yeah, no, no harm in that. And in fact, it might even be a little bit no, noble. But for here, it became something different. And you had you know state and local mandates, some which still are in place to today, um, that masks must be worn uh, at all time. And you know, something that Biden made a, a hallmark of his promises when once he became president that the first 100 days he would require masks to be to be worn. All you just ask us is just to, for you know three and a half short months we would be wearing masks. Well, of course he didn't have the power to do that, and so he mandated that that be done, that be enforced on government property, on federal government properties. Yeah, and they became mandated for air travel, and you saw these sad, bizarre, viral videos of families getting kicked off of planes because their their toddler wouldn't wouldn't wear a mask or their you know, child with autism or other sensory issues you know, we would just refuse to wear a mask so they'd be kicked off of these planes. And you'd have these clowns on the plane applauding this, as though this is a good and noble thing and they felt righteous to do it. It was just, it was this weird cultural... Uh, uh, pivot point it, it was just so odd and and you had you know so many videos that would would prop up of of people approaching others in a Costco or somewhere in public and and verbally just assaulting these people you know for not wearing masks which is just something that just blew my mind first of all it blew my mind that you would approach somebody in public for not wearing a mask second it was bizarre to me that they would do it and video this whole thing as though that made them righteous. And third, that they would double down on all of this and post it online with a weird sense of, of nobility and, and superiority. It's just so bizarre to me. But that's what we quickly became. You saw that case after case after case. It was weird. It was really, really weird. And then just as quickly as you saw all these these mandates and lockdowns that were put in place, as predictably, you would see all of this political hypocrisy. There was there hypocrisy amongst politicians that had uh, stemmed from this, you know, for those giving those exact orders. So you would, m many cases where you know, they would send out these PSAs of uh, telling people to stay home, stay home for spring break, stay home for... Uh, for Memorial Day and the Fourth of July, and and you know to remain home, and with almost a hundred percent certainty, those same clowns that would be doing this would find themselves caught 
traveling to Mexico or somewhere else in the country. Sometimes they would even film these PSAs from their remote locales. It was just the, the, the level of hypocrisy was absolutely stunning. Even the esteemable Dr. Burks was caught in, in Thanksgiving where she would, you know, she told people to stay home and have a, have a quiet Thanksgiving by themselves. And next year things would get back to normal. Well, you know, she was caught having, you know, a family gathering of 16 plus people or whatever. And her rationale was, well, my, my parents are elderly and they're, they're lonely. Well, no freaking kidding. So is everybody else. But for some reason you're telling people to stay home and to give that up. And you're not willing to do that yourself. And she saw no problem with it. It was bizarre. Um, but that was that was what we what we experienced. I mean, you saw Anthony Fauci at a Nationals game. He's throwing out the the first pitch like a conquering hero. There are no other fans in the stands, but this clown sitting there and he has his mask pulled down, his nose is sticking out. And I mean, to be fair, the guy's been on all sides of the mask issue, so who knows where he stood on that? But people were cool with it. Meanwhile, they're demanding you know churches to remain closed. You know, recently, President Biden has told us that you know soon we'll we will be given a list of things that we will be allowed to do once the vaccine rolls out. What allowed to do? As the gall of these people to to think that they have this much control in our lives. But to be honest, they have over the past year. They most certainly have. But. And ultimately, I think it's because these clowns just simply did did not want to be perceived as doing nothing. They didn't want to be blamed for have things gotten out of out of hand because they did nothing. So you, instead of doing nothing, you might as well do something. And the easiest thing to do was to tell people to stay home, to to close down bars, close down restaurants, close down schools, tell people to wear a mask because then you could at least say you did something, even though. There's no, there was no evidence. They would say we're following the science, and that's, of course, that's where, where the science narrative went, because that's where people who are inclined to rely on the government, they have this weird orthodoxy with all things science. Not, not necessarily that it is actual science, but just saying it is enough to, to give them comfort with it. But another weird thing happened though, as all this was going on. But we started to realize that those blue governors like Cuomo, Wolf, Whitner, Whitmer, and Newsom actually made things worse and killed thousands of people. And they did this by early on directing that patients who were very sick with COVID should be moved to nursing facilities so they could receive their care there so that hospitals wouldn't be overrun. Well, what did they do? What did that result in? That resulted in, in the virus being passed along by medical staff who were treating these people and given to the most vulnerable. And to the tune of tens of thousands, people died because of, because of this. But again, at the time, Democrats were so preoccupied with impeachment that it didn't matter. It wasn't something that was on their radar. But you know, for, for those who, who were doing the most, actually proactively did the most damage. But as I mentioned before, there was this weird drumbeat narrative, you know, to follow the science. You know, that's always used to support you know their their own narrative. And then we had these these weird notions of of social distancing became became the norm and part of our lexicon. You know, staying six feet apart and wearing masks. 
then you know duke did some weird cock and bull story that said you know neck gaiters were were worse than wearing nothing and and so that became full pot aware um that they, you know they they won't protect you but uh, and uh, along that that whole time you know, project warp speed you know took hold and was this this fast track for a vaccine well first thing is to to get uh, test COVID test to market, and then once we were able to test, then we could you know, develop vaccines. And along that time, a weird thing that happened is Democrats very quickly became anti-vaxxers. You know, on the campaign trail, you had Biden, Harris, Cuomo, all of them would say, you know, we're we're looking forward to a vaccine, but if it's one that's developed by this administration, I wouldn't trust it. I wouldn't take it. Of course, when it came out, they all took it. But that's what they said. They became anti-vaxxers, as though, as though Donald Trump and Mike Pence were wearing lab coats and were standing in front of a beaker and a Bunsen burner and themselves developing and mixing some vaccine. I mean, that's kind of the image that that they that they gave. It was just bizarre. Really, what, what all all that they did was they. They put a halt on all of the red tape that would stand in the way of of developing a vaccine. That's really all, all they did. So this thing accelerated, was was developed. These multiple vaccines were created because you know, the you know, government red tape was was removed. And so once it became evident that that vaccines were on the the horizon. Then the drumbeat became that there is no plan. And then once they took office, then they took credit for the distribution for that ex- the exact plan or the exact uh, steps that the the previous administration had had put in place. Um, but ultimately, you know, the, the the vaccines that were created were very very similar to flu vaccines. You know, it's, it's it doesn't give you immunity from the vaccine. It's not like the polio vaccine or the malaria vaccine where you get you, you take the vaccine and it it inoculates from you you can't catch it and then just like you know most flu vaccines you can still get it but either you won't become sick you won't or it'll it'll you know blunt the the symptoms of it and it, it you won't get all that sick um, but even if you do get the vaccine you can still spread it um, and uh, you know the you, it's simply not what many people tend to think it. So now, now as the vaccines roll out and, and the distribution becomes more, people are ecstatic because they think, okay, I can go out to eat. I can go to a, a ball game. I can do this, this, and that because now I have the vaccine. It just has this weird placebo effect. Now, it's not to say that these vaccines are you know, sugar water. These aren't placebos. But mentally, that's the impact that it has to people and it's kind of weird but that's that's where we are that it, that's how, how people have responded and and acted so irrationally to this thing but the funny thing is if you look at the charts that map the outbreaks whether it's you know the number of you know, cases you know positive cases the number of hospitalizations or deaths uh, related to the virus no matter where how you filter it, whether it's by you know by country, by state, by city, by county. It, it, over the course of the past twelve months, the shape of 
the charts mirror every other shape of every other chart. You know, if, whether it's a red state or blue state or wherever, you, know, you had this initial spike, then it, it kind of dies down. Then you have a spike in the summer, and then it kind of recedes again. Then you have a huge spike in the late fall and early winter. And then it comes down from there. The one caveat being that in states where they have very strict lockdowns, in states where they had either short to no mask mandates and no lockdowns, the shape of their graphs mirror the other other graphs. The one difference is where you had less controls in place, those spikes and peaks tended to happen sooner and lasted shorter. It's the weirdest thing, which makes begs the obvious question, did any of this work? Was any of this worth it? And I think what we're going to see is as we look back on it, no, no, it wasn't worth it. It didn't work. The lockdowns didn't work. Masks didn't work. The 15 days did not slow the spread. None of that worked. None of the guidance that we were given by the people who ought to have known better, none of it worked. So what should have happened? Well, very early on, what we should have done was protect the vulnerable. Those who were elderly, those who had you know, comorbidities, they should have been kept you know, protected and saved. They could, should, could have and should have been quarantined while the rest of us went about life as we normally do. We would have developed herd immunity very, very quickly, at least much quicker compared to what we've experienced. Now, I'm no scientist, but I at least know that much. You know, some of us would have been sick. Some of us would have gotten it and had no symptoms. And, and some people probably would have died in, in, into that, but not nearly to the, the degree that we saw. What we did not only did it not help us, it seemed to have made it worse. It seemed to have prolonged it. It seemed to have pushed all the spikes and, um, and peaks out. And also... They seem to, they are certainly have destroyed businesses. They've ruined lives. They've destroyed the education of our children. You know, it's it's just heartbreaking to see the increase in in suicides and depression among among young kids. But that's what happened. Despite all our best efforts, that was the result of what we did. And I think history is going to look back on us and is going to judge us as being erroneously wrong. That what, the way we handled this was wrong. We did bad. We, we could not have handled it poorly, more poorly. It was just awful. And ultimately, the Chinese Communist Party somehow needs to be held accountable. But you can't say that without the risk, running the risk of being accused of being racist. You know, just, just like anything else. You know, that's, they want to, if you disagree with somebody, you're going to be branded a racist. You know, you couldn't even refer to this thing as the Chinese virus. You couldn't call it the Wuhan virus. You couldn't call it the Chinese Wuhan virus. But you know damn well that you can refer to it as the um, the English uh, strain of the virus or the South African strain of the virus. But heaven forbid you, you refer to it according to its origin, then you you will be branded a racist. But And why is that? Because there's this reluctance to hold those who are actually responsible 
responsible. And it's the Chinese Communist Party. They knew exactly it was there. And and I'm, I'm no tinfoil hat guy, but there's even the notion that it was done on purpose. That I don't know. But it certainly smells bad. So here we are, 365 days later, where we started 15 days to slow the spread. Happy birthday. Hope it was worth it. I don't think it was, but maybe you disagree. We shall see. Well, that's it for our, our COVID special. I, I hope you have been able to grit through the past year as well as possible. Hopefully things are on the downslide as we have a number of, of vaccines that are rolling out and, and people start to feel more comfortable. Maybe we are at the front of all of this nonsense being over. Hopefully by the time the summer rolls around, this nightmare, this worldwide nightmare can start to recede, but we shall see. And in the meantime, I'm going to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. I'm going to look forward to spending some time on spring break uh, with my family and doing some fun things. And then we'll be back to break it all down at the water cooler. Stay cool, Gen X. <laughs>